Hey ladies and gentlemen, this is Jeff Edwards, one of the hosts of It's a Nerd Thing. We are just putting out a small disclaimer. We do use a lot of adult language and talk about adult situations. So if you do not want children listening to that kind of subject matter, don't have them listen. of It's a Nerd Thing. I'm your host, Jeff Edwards. And John Harrigan. And this is our quarantine episode number two. So I think we're a month in now for quarantine, if I'm correct. I've lost all track of time. The etchings that I've left on my wall to keep track of the date have long since faded. So much like my youth. Yeah, we're both recording on Zoom right now, and I'm getting shaggier, he's getting shaggier, and I haven't shaved in a month, I need a haircut badly, I'm at ponytail status right now. I almost have a beard. Yeah, that's that's almost. the weird thing for both of us. Yes. We're going to come back looking like mountain men when we actually have to go back to work. <laughs> so, other than going nuts from quarantine and all that, how's things going with you? Uh, all things considered, pretty good. Um, really getting into coffee making. That uh, French press that uh, that you've loaned me has been my rock through these through these times. <laughs> yep, pretty much that. And I feel like that guy from the Twilight Zone who survived the nuclear blast or whatever, and he had all the time in the world to read his books. But I'm, you know smarter than he is and i have contacts so i don't have to worry about my glasses breaking so yeah that's been my 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 state nice have you been uh reading a lot or are you doing projects or anything like that reading at the glacial pace that i normally do but yeah i'm like halfway through one book right now and like one or two chapters into a few more so that's that, that almost equals a whole book I've actually been surprisingly been able to get through a lot of books lately. I have a bunch of photography books, and I've been going through that, and been going through my special effects books and stuff like that. And for me, the easiest thing so far is really early on when we started the quarantine, Like I made a list of things to do and things that I wanted to do, even if I knew I wouldn't be able to get to them. Uh, sorry about the noise. There's construction going on at my apartment, and there's my window's open because it's hot in here. But yeah, I've just been trying to do one thing off that list every single day, and it makes it a little easier, kind of, not really. But actually, I've been reaching out to a lot of professional special effects artists and photographers because I know their home, and I know that they'll actually respond to my emails and stuff now, or like my Instagram messages. So I've actually been really talking to a lot of these people about the business aspect of my photography and my makeup and actually separating Facebook and Instagram into like different accounts. So people just see, oh, this is the special effects page. This is the photography page. So I've been trying to do that, which has actually been more of a headache than I realized it ever would be. But yeah. Yeah. Keeping track of the social media accounts is kind of way... I I am juggling between like a, just like a Twitter and a Facebook right now, and I don't know. It feels like feels like keeping track of very two unruly but quiet kids. By the end of this, let's see. I'll have my main Facebook, which is just my personal one, the podcast Facebook. I'll have a photography and a makeup one. And then Instagram, I'll probably have two of those. But also I have to split my uh, website portfolio. I'm going to have my main site, which will be probably photography. And then I'll have my, I didn't know this until recently, but Adobe, the creative cloud, allows you to have a free portfolio. 
you just have to buy the domain for the website. So yeah, so that will be helpful to do that. But yeah, I'll have so many different accounts. I'll, I honestly don't know what to do with. Yeah, I feel this should be like some kind of, I don't know, program or something you can navigate this or at least have like a control center or something where you can facilitate that. Because yeah, it gets kind of... Like, I'm, I'm the kind of person that has, like, a really cluttered desk and then just, like, loses track of everything. So, you know, put that into a digital space and, yeah, everything just, like, falls through the cracks. See, I can't do that. I actually have to be really organized in my on my desk because I have a poster board right in front of me where I put, like, a bunch of things and I pin stuff on that. And my pens are organized in a certain way. I'm also just kind of nuts, so that's probably a big part of that. But if I have too much clutter on my desk, I can't focus on what I want to work on. So a lot of the stuff I've been doing during this whole time is going through old photos from, like, six years ago or something like that and editing them and if there's a can on my table or something i'm just like okay this can has to go in the trash can i can't just have it sitting there no i need that too it's just getting to that point is like i had like a nice week at the beginning of this quarantine where my desk was had some kind of order and uh once again the the chaos has fought back and has lost the battle but it's winning the war right now but we'll see yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a lot of people right now. Having the motivation to do anything right now is just uh, too much effort. Yeah, can't identify with that. So hopefully this podcast doesn't go as awry as the last one we recorded. Me and Derek had a ton of sound issues and stuff like that. John was the only one who didn't have issues. But now we're using Zoom instead of... Skype like we tried last time because we heard it was a little bit better. Uh, So hopefully that works a little better this time for people who are listening. Today's episode is going to be kind of a fun one, I think. A lot of information, um, at least when I was doing research. I don't know what you came across. But today's episode is on Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons, Futurama, Disenchantment, and... Also well-known for his comic book, Life in Hell. Yep, and native of Portland, Oregon. Yeah, and I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to say it on the record right now. Springfield is Oregon. There are so many tie-ins for it not to be the Springfield, Oregon, but other people say it's other places, but... There's a Moe's in Springfield. There was a tire fire in Springfield. So I'm saying this over here. Check yourself, Illinois. <laughs> okay. So Matt Groening was born Matthew Groening on February 15th, 1954, like we said, in Portland, Oregon. He is the middle child of five children. Mark and Patty are his older siblings. And then Lisa and Maggie are his younger siblings. His mother is Margaret Ruth Wiggum, and Homer Philip Greening is his father. Now, despite what many people may think, he did name the characters after his siblings and his parents, but besides the sibling rivalry, he didn't base the characters off of his family, is what he has said in many interviews. Well, at least like character based. Wiggum is uh, like I've always wondered where where that makes sense. That's just one of the funniest names I've heard of for no particular reason. If you're a Wiggum and you're listening to this, I apologize, but there's just something innately funny about that name. So, yeah, yeah, good call on on incorporating the names he does in his in his work. Well, something I didn't realize, and when I researched this, that totally makes sense. He named a bunch of characters from The Simpsons. After famous Portland streets, Slanders, Lovejoy, Powell, Quimby, Kearney, Van Houten. There's just like a bunch of different streets are actual Simpson characters. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, you can definitely see a lot of the uh, the callbacks to Portland, which, you know, growing up, th- this was pre-Portlandia. So, you know, growing up in Portland, being this sheltered younger sibling of, you know, the then it city Seattle, like anytime we'd see like, uh, Reverend Lovejoy or Ned Flanders on TV, it was like, oh my God, is this the street in Portland? We made it. Well, that's also a funny thing is a lot of people 
associate current Portland with Portlandia and all that. But the Portland of the 50s and the 60s was a lot different compared to what it is now. Nowadays, we have the keep Portland weird thing, which a lot of people just gravitate to. But before it was a it was progressive. Yes, but it wasn't. I asked my dad about it because he was around that time during the 50s and 60s here in Portland. And he said it was very small town America. Even though Portland was a big city, he said it was very cookie cutter, suburban kind of. Even in the 60s when graining would have been in high school and stuff. And yes, we are pronouncing his name correctly. I just thought of that. There are two camps of graining versus groaning. I never understood that. But even he's come on The Simpsons and been like, it's graining. Yeah, let's uh, just ingrain that habit. I but I'm Sorry, I had to, <laughs> had to get the, the pun off early today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there will probably be more. But he, like we said, kind of grew up in that 50s, 60s with the counterculture of America. And he was very much a part of that. In the interviews that I watched, he said he, that he didn't want to go with that American flow that he was seeing so much that he wanted to be part of the counterculture that he didn't feel like he belonged and that like a lot of the things that he was seeing was complete bullshit, which during that time I totally agree with. But he eventually went to Evergreen State College in Washington and this school was very unique for the time because they didn't believe in grades, they didn't believe in that type of system for college but it attracted all of the artists, the weirdos, the people who were just ingrained in that counterculture. And funny thing about that, when I was in high school, I actually went up there. I was part of the choir and we went to a choir tour up there. At one point, they asked all of the juniors and seniors to kind of stick around and listen to a college pitch. And I seriously was considering going there for a little while. So if I had gone there, I would have gone to the same school as Matt Groening. So I thought that was kind of cool. No, yeah, I applied there shortly after beginning community college. And they still do, as far as I know, do the no letter grades. I think evaluations or, or something. They have an interesting alumni list. I think like Slater Kenny uh, went there. A lot of counterculture, for lack of a better word, figures attended. I don't know, they're sort of like Reed colleges, like sister school in, in Washington. Yeah, it's also a really beautiful campus. And just the vibe I got from that place when I was doing a campus tour, it was totally different than what I had imagined for college. And I kind of do wish I had gone up there, but they denied me because I had horrible, horrible grades. But that makes sense. So back to grading. He actually was the editor of the campus paper where he wrote articles and drew cartoons. And so a lot of his influences for drawing and cartooning and stuff came from that. But he also said a big influence for him in his early career was the illustrator for Charlie Brown. Oh, Charles Schultz. Yeah, Charles Schultz. Thank you. I knew you would know it. I couldn't remember. I didn't put it on my notes here. He loved the simplicity of the lines that Schultz would create and how much character the Peanuts would have. And so when he moved down to L.A. at 23, he started self-publishing a comic called Life in Hell. And I actually would suggest people go out and try to find some of these comics. He continued writing through 2012, but his early ones are commentaries on like living in L.A. and the fear and anxiety that he would have. They were just also like kind of a commentary on social life and like politics and stuff like that. So they're pretty interesting, and I would suggest people go out and look them up. Yeah, when I first really got into the the Simpsons when I was like nine or ten, I kept hearing about Life in Hell because I think one of the alternative weeklies in in Portland, either the Mercury or the Willamette Week, would run that comic. And at that time, I didn't really get it because I'm nine or ten, and a lot of the themes or the concepts or it is not relevant <laughs> to, to someone my age. So I was like, you know, whatever. This isn't you know Homer, you know eating a donut or whatever like this is this is this ain't making me laugh but as i as i've gotten older as and as i was like researching this and like reading like some of the some of those comics i was like 
Well, okay, now that resonates. So he first started as sort of a commentary on his life moving to uh, to L.A. And uh, Binky, the, the primary character, the, the rabbit, was uh, sort of based on, on him and his, uh, his experience in Los Angeles. No, they're really interesting. I honestly didn't know about them until, uh, I think, middle school. I was recently reading them, and I'm just like, holy crap, this is our generation's kind of thought process now. So it's it's funny that a lot of it still carries over even to today. But, oh, um, Life in Hell was also kind of loosely based off of Walter Kaufman's book Critique of Religion and Philosophy. He does mention that in, in several interviews. So that was also a big influence. In 1978, he sold his first professional comic to uh, Wet Magazine. A gourmet bathing publication, as they uh, describe themselves. Yeah. I was what a time looking, to be alive. I was looking into this, and it was really artsy. It's kind of like what the Mercury is here. It's uh, just very left-sided media. The right does not appreciate uh, luxury bathing like the like the left does. After wet, he started working for the Los Angeles Reader, where he showed editor James Vowell Life in Hell and made a debut comic strip in the Reader on April twenty fifth, in nineteen eighty. Life in Hell caught the attention of Gracie Films founder James L. Brooks, who we all know is one of the major producers for The Simpsons. And this kind of starts the whole thing rolling of him starting The Simpsons. And you want to take over? Yeah, so uh, James L. Brooks at the time was involved with the uh, Tracy Ullman show, and they needed uh, interstitial material between segments. And... Initially, they wanted Life in Hell, the characters from that, uh, to have like their own little shorts and not wanting to part ways or to a forfeit creative rights to that. Graining tried to come up with another set of characters that he uh, wouldn't feel so attached to, and ultimately that became The Simpsons Family. And the story behind that is the accounts I differ, it's either on the drive over to uh, to his pitch or in the, the waiting room. He does like hurriedly like, uh, drew up these uh, this this family and these characters and yeah, his uh, last second scribbles ended up, you know, making the cut and for two years the Simpsons began as these shorts on the now extinct Tracy Ullman show. Matt Groening was saying that he really wanted to have a strong silhouette of the characters when he first designed them. So that's why Lisa and Maggie have starfish heads. Bart has the spiky hair. They really wanted, he really wanted something that was going to be, if you just drew a very simplified version of it, it would be something that you could just recognize instantly. There's actually a, I don't know if you would call it a documentary, but it's kind of just like an interview with him. It's like 30 minutes long called My Wasted Life. And you can find it on YouTube. He kind of talks about all of this stuff that this is actually kind of where I got a lot of my research. Um, Of course, I did look up other interviews and articles and stuff, but go take a listen to that or watch it. I mean, My Wasted Life documentary, Matt Groening. Yeah, he's just kind of sitting there talking about his life, about his process and The Simpsons, and it's kind of an interesting one. So another thing about the early episodes of the show. So Matt Groening thought the animators were going to clean up his drawings at first. So the first two episodes, I believe, there was just a miscommunication, and so everything was just like super janky and so because that miscommunication he kind of took over more of the animation role and was actually trying to get his hands more on that so that was kind of interesting yeah one of the things that i uh, thought was interesting with the in the beginning of this series is that the opening sequence the uh the chalkboard gag and the couch gag he originally like uh, made this extended opening sequence to kind of fill airtime so that be less they would have to animate for but he also in a clever move was making these 
having these two segments be renewable so it wouldn't just be the same thing over and over again, but he could just, you know, switch out periodically these different gags that have, been, that have taken a life of their own. Like the, the couch gag is now iconic in its own right. Yeah, they even get get like some pretty famous guest animators for the couch gags, and some of them are just surreal, and you're like, what is going on? They had uh, Rick and Morty on for one, and they had Guillermo del Toro direct a different one, and there was just like a bunch of random snippets of H.P. Lovecraft and themes from his movies and stuff like that. So the couch gag has kind of become like its own thing, really. It's surprising. The Don Hertzfeld one that came out a couple years ago is the most terrifyingly surreal one, but just so just so brilliant. If any of you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and look at uh, Don Hertzfeld Simpsons opening and Which it is the that? Um it's the one where Homer tries to fast forward his TV but ends up like fast forwarding himself through time and oh. ends up forever in the future and just in this like barely recognizable like <laughs> space as this hyper evolved entity and it's I, I have no idea how to describe it but it's um <laughs> it's it's hilarious and how horrifying it is another really trippy one that gets replayed every now and then because contrary to popular belief they don't make a fresh couch gag for every single episode they do five or six in a season and then they just kind of loop those over an episode and the one that still trips me out is they had the artist from ren and stimpy uh (laughs) as the guest artist for the couch gag and it just so trippy that you're just like what just happened my brain just felt like it melted or something like that well and i feel that's sort of like a throwback to the early days of the series because the original animation company that did the uh first couple seasons of the simpsons Klasky supo they also did a lot of cartoons contemporaneous on nickelodeon at the time most notably rugrats so yeah i feel like there's probably like a lot of people in the the same circles that they knew one another, and it feels like there's been like a like a link between the the Simpsons and Ren and Stippy for for some time in the early seasons too. There's just a lot of these like uh, subtle references or not so subtle references to Ren and Stippy. Hmm, that's interesting. So the reason we're doing a Matt Groening episode was just because he was fairly brilliant with a lot of the things he created. I just finished all thirty seasons of. The Simpsons, and I think I started like three months ago or something like that. It was ridiculous. And I've been watching as many episodes as I can in like a day, but even I had a point where I'm just like, okay, can't watch any more Simpsons. I will say this, up till season 13, the Simpsons are good. After that, they just jumped the shark. If you don't know what that term means, go look it up. But there, I'm sure everyone's watched Happy Days by this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a few episodes, surprisingly enough, in the newer seasons. I think there's like one in season 27. It's called Bart Hood. And they're basically making fun of that. Not making fun of, but paying an homage to that movie Childhood, the one that was like... Or Boyhood. Boyhood, with, thank uh, you. That's the one. That was a Richard Linklater, or yeah, I think, I think so. And that episode is actually a really good Bart episode because it kind of goes from, of course, him as a child to like him as an adult. And I'm just like, you know what? That's actually a really solid Bart episode that I would consider Simpsons canon. There's not a weird throwaway episode like uh, the principal and the popper. I haven't seen Barthood. Do they kind of like retcon the his backstory or? No, weirdly enough, they actually kind of stick to it. And they actually kind of go into a, I don't want to spoil the episode too much, but Lisa at some point basically calls him out on his bullshit and he starts becoming an artist after that point. But yeah, it was actually a solid episode. So there are a few episodes in the newer seasons that are pretty damn good, but then like the rest are absolute crap. So you do have to kind of weed through them. Like the last new episode that I ended up watching was the, um, when it came out several years ago, it was the grunge episode where it completely changed Homer and Marge's uh, 
backstory to like they met in college or something and you know i i realize there's gonna be you're gonna be forced to sort of retool a few things after 20 plus seasons but at that point it's i don't know that seemed like a questionable decision to do that there was one episode i think there was some kind of controversy over it not the apu controversy we will talk about that later but it was an episode that made like the major news networks that Homer and Marge were going to get a divorce or something. And then when you actually watch the episode, it just resolves itself in the end. Like every Simpsons episode, I'm just like, seriously, people flipped out over this over. And that episode, I'm just like, that was just such a throwaway kind of a thing. It's interesting how over the years, the Simpsons has sort of evolved into what it is like now as like this safe animated series. Back when it started, there were just, you know, people getting up in arms about, you know, Bart Simpson being this, you know, this menace who's a, who's a bad influence or, or what have you. And <laughs> yeah, America was a, America was a simpler place back then. Yeah. It's also funny how, the Fox Network, who was a almost on the verge of bankruptcy network, and then they got the fame of The Simpsons behind them. They became this huge, evil, multimedia corporation that's shadow puppeting our current political climate. It's insane. I don't think that uh, people understand, like, or at least like younger listeners might not understand, just what a radical departure or radical change the the Fox Network went through during the '90s. Before The Simpsons, they had one minor hit in Married with Children, and if <laughs> I another YouTube recommendation to everyone is to look up some of the opening credits of. Fox's original primetime lineup, and it is some of the most lo-fi public access level <laughs> shows that uh, would not have been greenlit on any other network. But I remember well into the 90s associating the Fox network with revealing the magician's secrets or... <laughs> I, um, I liked that show. <laughs> I, I mean, I watched it. I... I <laughs> I can't say too much about it, but that or uh, Alien Autopsies was another one. It oh, was just... yeah. <laughs> See, the thing I remember about the Fox Network was Fox Kids, if you remember that. Like, it was mm-hmm. like the Saturday morning cartoon show, and it had things like Young Hercules, uh, SWAT Cats, Motorcycle Mice from Mars... Uh, street sharks, just like weird things that even their Saturday morning cartoons were just like, what the hell? <laughs> they at one point introduced us to the brief phenomenon that was Digimon. Oh, and yeah, that was through them, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was a solid lineup. I mean, they think pound for pound, they had one of the one of the best cartoon lineups. Weirdly enough, yeah. <laughs> So back to Matt Craney, that was kind of a weird <laughs> random tangent. So the movie came out in 2007, and Matt Craney has said several times since then that he'll probably never do another Simpsons movie, because one, to me at least, it just seemed like one really, really long episode, and it just dragged on and on, and I'm just like, I, I've tried to watch it several times. I mean... Okay, the spider pig thing I did find really funny. But other than that, it was just one long episode. Well, and the funny thing is that the plans for a Simpson movie had been in the works for for years. During the, the research for this, I found this Usenet interview with Matt Groening from 1993, and already people were asking, like, oh, are there plans for a movie? And even then, he was saying, yeah, they're kicking around an idea. The episode that eventually uh, became Camp Krusty was originally intended from what i've heard to to be a movie but they ended up just making it the uh, opening for season three or season four i think yeah actually there's funny thing about cam crusty besides that it was supposed to be a movie was they revisit camp crusty 
they have another episode about Camp Krusty, and the entire episode is just Bart and Lisa have PTSD because they thought when they were trying to escape from Camp Krusty, like some kid died, but it turns out he didn't. But yeah, they're they're suffering from PTSD the entire show. I'm just like, why the hell are you doing this episode? <laughs> wow, yeah, I have missed the last ten seasons, so this is uh, <laughs> this this is this is shocking to me. My sister got Disney Plus, and so I've just been watching it for months and months. I started it way before this whole quarantine thing, and I'm just like, oh dear God! <laughs> but after a few years of The Simpsons' success, Matt Greening kind of got in contact with uh, one of the writers on The Simpsons, David X. Cohen, and they started to research science and sci-fi and all that kind of stuff and pitched in 1997 Futurama and started to develop it. In 1999, the show premiered. And before we start talking about Futurama, let's take a short break and then we'll get back into it. ladies and gentlemen to it's a nerd thing our episode on matt graining so we left off on my favorite show of matt graining futurama interesting thing that i learned while doing some research for this was the original name that matt graining wanted to go with was aloha mars which i I would have liked that better i think (laughs) Well, it's funny, the two names that he uh, originally had in mind are completely just the complete polar opposite ends of uh, of Matt Groening's mindset, I guess. Like, you have, like, Aloha Mars, and then Doomsville was the other one. So you have, like, a very a very cheery, pleasant-sounding one, and then you just have this, like, dark, cynical name, which, I mean, when you watch the series, you get, like, a blend of both. <laughs> Doomsville for me kind of seems more like it would take place in the 1950s or something and very much that have you ever played or know about the fallout games yeah so that takes place in a 1950 era's kind of time where they're driving old cars but they're run on like nuclear things and then all that goes bad because of nuclear explosions all around the country but yeah something like Doomsville would seem like something like that (laughs) Like a very film noir, gritty kind of... uh... No, I could see like the humor of Futurama, except just 1950s New York town. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Futurama has kind of an interesting timeline in, in itself. So they were on for four years, and then they got canceled. And Fox wasn't wanting to renew it or do more episodes. And they were kind of like, eh... It was good while it lasted, kind of thing, much like what they did with Future or um, Family Guy. And then, because of the DVD sales and a short run on Adult Swim, Comedy Central picked it up for several straight to DVD movies. And then they picked it up for 26 more episodes with the final episode in that. And I'm actually really glad that they did that because that was such a the stories that they added on with those like straight to DVD and then the 26 episodes after that and the ending episodes. I thought they ended it really well. I admit I've still yet to catch up entirely with uh, with Futurama, but um, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my quarantine time. I I think. Um, <laughs> One of the things that I found interesting about Futurama's uh, writing room is that they have, God, what was it? The the statistic that I learned was was just like amazing. They have three PhDs, seven master's degrees, and 
in total, like more than 50 years of Harvard education. Wow. In that room, which is, yeah. That's crazy. So this is going to be a weird comparison, but for some reason, whenever I watched an interview with Matt Groening about any of his shows, I always got this weird vibe that it was like future you. You both just seem very similar to me and very anti-culture in different ways. But I'm just like, John, is that is that a, a wig or something? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't I can't comment one way or the other. <laughs> Sorry, it's just something I thought was that I noticed at least. But yeah, Futurama was unlike the Simpsons where it was all about the American family. This took place in the year 3000 with a character who got cryogenically frozen and the shenanigans with that. But apparently even in its early days, Fox wanted to kind of rewrite the entire thing because they thought it was too, the, the humor was too smart. They thought the, some of the characters were just too weird, like the drunken robot or Zoidberg. Wait, what's wrong with the drunken robot? Like, I don't know. That was their... that, that, is that is that too high brow for their for their audience? Like, <laughs> I think that's what they were trying to say. But Zoidberg and Bender are two of the best characters in that entire series. Truly, why not Zoidberg? And I think that's probably why they let it go for so long, and Comedy Central ended up picking it up because. Let's be truthful. Fox has a weird way of making decisions, and so they're they were probably just like, eh, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, the I don't know. The Fox Network, on the one hand, like gave them like a lot of free reign, but on the other hand, it just seemed like they were the Fox Network that we all think them to be, and <laughs> are as uh, heavy handed as as we would imagine. Also, I think one of my favorite characters for that show was Professor Farnsworth. Just, he was just nuts. Having one of the greatest uh, catchphrases, just uh, good news, everyone, and followed by something completely just disaster. Portends disaster, yep. So on an unrelated, unrelated note, there was a couple of makeup effects artists who made a live action Zoidberg and a live action of Farnsworth. Um, <laughs> nice. The artist's name is Frank Eppolito and it's actually on tested.com. It's one of their earlier videos. So you'll kind of have to dig, but they did a full prosthetic makeup of Zoidberg and of professor Farnsworth that people should check out. It's really well done. There's also a live action movie I'm going to, why don't you talk for a minute? I'm going to look that up real fast because I can't remember what it was called. Or like, it was Uh, a fan film, but it was still really well done. Another reference to Grading's family was Philip J. Fry. He got the name from his his father's middle name, Homer Philip Graining. So yeah, his dad provided inspiration for two names in this series for two of the main characters. So the fan live action thing that they did is called Fanorama. So F-A-N-O-Rama. I see what they did there. Yeah. And that's actually really well done too. It's a little, I don't want to say uncanny valley, but it's just weird enough that you're like, no, this should be a cartoon, but it's, it's still really good. They even have the Hypnotoad that was also made by Frank Hippolito. <laughs> so that's a pretty cool one. All glory to the Hypnotoad. Hypnotoad. <laughs> oh that's another thing they did a crossover episode of Futurama and The Simpsons in one of the newer seasons so the premise of it was Bart accidentally creates this evil creature that is taking over the future and so Bender is sent back in time to kill Bart and the creatures funnily funny enough are the bunnies from Life and Hell and they're just running amok in the future. And then eventually I, both casts end up coming together and realizing that it was just a complete accident that this whole thing happened. <laughs> so it's actually a really funny episode. So in a lot of the newer episodes, you see Bender in the Simpsons basement. 
just lying about. And that episode actually explains why he's in the basement. Wow. Okay. I gotta, I gotta check out some of the newer episodes. I mean, it sounds like there's like a, some decent ones here and there. Yeah. Every now and then there's some good ones and then the rest are just whatever. But that's all I have on the future. Rama, do you have more? No, no, I think that was it. Oh, you were talking about the name thing earlier. So his dad apparently was always kind of angry that he named Homer Homer. So as a tribute to his own father, he named his own son Homer. <laughs> so there's there's two Homers in his life. So uh, so yeah, anytime he gets a little too creative with uh, with Homer Simpson, he just base it off of off of Junior. Mm-hmm. Oh, one more thing that I thought was interesting was Zap Brannigan, the uh, the brash. <laughs> The brash uh, captain from Futurama was originally supposed to be voiced by Phil Hartman, the late voice actor Phil Hartman, who uh, voiced Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons, and yeah, ended up being voiced after he was murdered by uh, Billy West, who actually, his rendition of, or his uh, performance of Zap Brannigan was kind of like a tribute to... Uh, to Phil Harbin because like the two of them shared love old time radio and like this like very exaggerated bravado. So that was sort of his tribute to Phil Harbin, like as he took over his, his role. Hmm, that's interesting. I always wondered what happened to Lionel Hutz in the Simpsons because all of a sudden he was just gone. And I'm one just, of the best characters. Yeah. Then there was also, this was just kind of sad, but it was kind of a good tribute at the same time. The actor who played Mrs. Krabappel, she passed oh. away during, or I think it was a he, actually, I can't remember. Marsha Wallace, I think. I think so. We're probably going to get reamed for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the chalkboard gag, when they found out about the voice actor's passing, they actually did a I Miss You, Mrs. K tribute, and then they actually did an actual death of episode which at, weirdly enough she was married to ned flanders at this point yeah that i did end up hearing about yeah that those two had had become married so we're working without a nut here guys 2013 was when marcia wallace died and that just i do not recall that being that long ago <laughs> that 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 happened no, yeah, it was kind of just really abrupt, too, that it happened. It's just like, whoa. It's interesting to think about the longevity that the, the central cast has been lucky to to have because 30 years to, to maintain your core performers like that is, is impressive, not to say lucky. Yeah, exactly. So now we're at the new show that Granning has been working on with David X. Cohen and another writer who worked on Futurama, Disenchantment, the show that is on Netflix. I like it. I still feel like it's building up to something, but I like it so far. And they say there's two seasons up right now, but there's supposed to be 26 more episodes that are in production so that will come out knowing Netflix like 2021. <laughs> Just in time to leave quarantine. <laughs> right. I feel like it's going to be like that long. I swear. It's just, <laughs> oh my God, it's bad. Yeah, Disenchantment. I'm a little tired of the fantasy genre myself just because it's a little played out. Everyone's doing it. But I, I do like it. It's It's a good show. Yeah, I, I personally enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought they casted really well. Abby Jacobson and uh, Eric Andre in this in the show are are great voice actors. So, so to me, Elfo looks way too much like Bart Simpson. Mm-hmm. Every no, time yeah. I watch him, I'm like, what is Bart doing here? <laughs> One could argue that Matt Groening is a little derivative with his character sometimes, but I mean. On the other hand, I feel like most animators have a particular style or a particular look. But no, I absolutely <laughs> noticed the noticed the resemblance, and I think a few of the characters from Life and Hell also bear a resemblance. Yeah. So 
now I'm going to be on the look for it because apparently Matt Groening has put life and hell characters in every single one of his series. So like the bunny with one ear or Jeff and Akbar. Apparently they've all appeared in different episodes of Simpsons, Futurama and Disenchantment. So now I'm like, okay, where are they? <laughs> I feel like I saw Binky as like a plush toy in Bart's room or something. Or I also remember like seeing a uh, drawing of uh, Jeff and Akbar in the background of like a scene from The Simpsons. So, no, yeah, it definitely seems. I remember that. That wasn't a background. So Homer acknowledges it. They're at the Chicago Museum of Art and they're walking around and Homer sees the Jeff and Akbar thing and he's just like, Matt Groening, he can't draw. Is this the episode where uh, Homer tries to make a barbecue pit and it turns into a modern art masterpiece or something? I think so. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think that's the one. That's the same one where Jasper or um, oh Andy Warhol throwing soup cans at him or something. Yes, yes, that's, I, that's <laughs> like towards the end of the episode in these hucking. <laughs> Why does art hate me, Marge? (laughs) Yeah. So besides being known for The Simpsons, Futurama, and Disenchantment, Graining also produced Bongo Comics and Zongo Comics. Both of them were named after characters in Life and Hell. So Bongo was, of course, Life and Hell. Some comics like The Wrath of Jimbo, I think one of them's called, or just things that were in that Futurama Simpsons universe. And then Zongo comics were more him producing other people's art and letting them get their cartoons out and more darker kind of stuff out there. Definitely stayed pretty active, I feel, beyond just The Simpsons, because like I think a lot of people assume that he's kind of rested on his laurels a little bit. But um, no, he's he's been keeping his productivity level fairly consistent. Yeah, so he had a bunch of cameos. Of course, there's been The Simpsons. He was on Space Ghost Coast to Coast, if you remember <laughs> that. That was a great episode. Yeah, he was in Portlandia, which I fucking hate that show. But hey, yeah, Portlandia. And then he was also in the Simpsons video game, and he voiced himself. And I think he's like the final boss, if I remember correctly. It's been so long since I played that, so I don't remember. (laughs) He also, and this is actually really impressive looking at this timeline. So he's received 41 Emmy nominations. He's won 13. 11 of those were for The Simpsons. Two of those were for Futurama. He also got the National Cartoonist Society Rubin Award and a British Comedy Award. I don't know what the Rubin Award is, but it sounds fancy. Maybe that's a good sandwich. Who knows? That actually would be really funny if they just gave him a sandwich. Here you go. (laughs) Recognizing excellence in the field of sandwich artistry. So yeah, he's had a pretty interesting career, and I I hope he keeps making things like Disenchantment. At the end of the My Wasted Life documentary interview, I don't know what it is. If you watch it, you'll understand why I'm confused if it's a documentary or not. So at the end of it, he talks about how he wants to make a rock show, a rock cartoon. And he even says he wants to do to rock what he did to the Simpsons or to the American family with the Simpsons. So if he did something like that, that would actually be kind of cool. I'd be interested in watching that. I mean, that would be interesting. So like rock and roll high school, but animated. Maybe. I'm not a hundred percent sure to be honest, (laughs) but that's all I've got. Do you have anything extra? Uh, let's see. Nothing regarding Matt Groening, but tangentially related podcast recommendation for everyone out there is if you love The Simpsons or the people involved with The Simpsons, Round Springfield, formerly Everything's Coming Up Simpsons, with Ali Gertz and Julie, Julia Prescott. <laughs> they have a great podcast that interviews several people involved with the, the Simpsons and just relatively high profile fans. So definitely one worth checking out if you're into the works of, of Matt Groening. Huh. I think you've told me that about, about that a couple of times and how you said that there's some really interesting episodes about that. I just thought of a fun fact that probably some people don't know, but 
I'd be surprised if you didn't, if you were a fan of Conan. Conan O'Brien was one of the writers in some of the early seasons for The Simpsons. And he's had Matt Groening on different late night talk shows throughout the years. And yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, Conan was actually the, there was a thing he kept saying in the writer's room. He kept saying Jub-Jub at random times. And that was the namesake for either Patty or Selma's pet iguana, Jub-Jub. So yeah, that was a subtle a subtle nod to, uh, to Conan O'Brien. And for any fans of Conan out there, Conan's YouTube series, Serious Jibber Jabber, there's an episode where he interviews some of the writing staff from The Simpsons, which is super interesting. I, I highly recommend that. Yeah, I was going to watch that before, but I just ran out of time. Well, I didn't run out of time. I just went and did other things. But yeah, I think it's an hour and a half long, and I do plan to watch that just because it did look interesting. It's really good. Any any Simpsons fan would would enjoy that one. Yeah, but I am just really impressed with a lot of the voice actors for all of his shows, but The Simpsons particularly, because they all do six parts or something like that, something ridiculous. But I think Hank Azaria, he has the most range out of all of the characters. There's a good GQ interview that he does that you can find on YouTube, and he just goes through all the voices that he does for The Simpsons. And it's just so good for those of you who don't know he does most his lack the bartender comic book guy he does a bunch of other ones too i can't remember them all off the top of my head but you're just like oh yeah this is this is pretty awesome but yeah and then the guy who does homer also does grandpa simpson and hans mole man and like a bunch of other ones like that i'm just really impressed with their dynamic range of voice acting yeah, even Dan Castellanata, there's a, <laughs> one of the relatively recent episodes I remember watching was uh, Homer was touring the Fox studio or some studio and he sees Dan Castellanata and he's like, hey, funny man, say something funny, funny man. <laughs> he's like, oh, please don't really eat on the guardrail, sir. <laughs> and I still laugh that they still reference how Homer used to talk in the first season. and like Frosty Tropic milkshakes. <laughs> all the time throughout all 30 seasons they keep referencing that i'm just like that's great (laughs) (laughs) from crudely drawn filler material to (laughs) primetime juggernaut yeah well that's pretty much all we have on matt graining we'll probably record again because we have mass amounts of time so if you like our podcasts if you don't well it's an earth thing. And we will see you all next time. Have a good one. Smell you later. later. <laughs> <laughs>